Good morning. The kids are wondering, why are they clapping us to leave? <laughs> Don't take it personally, kids. Well, it is a joy to be back together. You know, I always think of this service as a special service in a year, the first Sunday in February. It always feels like a special service because it's the time when tend to tend to find people are back from holidays. We're back together. We're starting to actually think about the year ahead and all that that means. And so for that, I've also prepared a special message. And so it says Psalms on there. We're not even doing the Psalms. We're doing Isaiah 41. So please turn with me to Isaiah 41. And this is a message that I really believe the Lord has put on my heart for us today. We have concluded our Psalm series next week. We'll be going back into our Luke series. But I believe this is the word of the Lord for us today. And and usually I'm going to get us to stand as well because I want us to understand with our bodies that God is addressing us. Let's stand together. And I'm going to read to you Isaiah 41, verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your desire as our Father is to address us this morning. You want to talk to us and tell us how you feel about us and what you are doing for us. Lord, you are so kind. Lord, what we have been singing about this morning, I pray that you would now burn it into our hearts as with a hot iron. Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you take human words from a man and make them the, your own as you speak to your people today? In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. If you want a title for today's message, I've called it Great Hope for All of Our Tomorrows. You know, New Year, which we've all just enjoyed together, is always, in my opinion, such an interesting time. For some, it's a time of the year where fireworks go off, party poppers take place, and a new year clicks in. But for many, it's also a time of reflection and consideration and anticipation. Reflection on the year that has just gone. Reflection on the year that was for us 2021. For some people, they're really sad to leave that behind because it was a great year. There were many things to celebrate, many enjoyments. But for others, it is a joyful thing to be moving on from it because it was a difficult year. You look back on the year that was and you think, thank the Lord that year has gone because it was challenging for you for whatever reasons. For so many people, it's a time in the year where we reflect on what has just gone before. And then we begin so often to begin to consider and anticipate what the next year will hold for us. What is 2022 going to be like? Is it going to be any different to 2021? What's going to happen with COVID? What's going to happen with our schools? What's going to happen with our families? What are the government going to be doing next? Will I be able to travel this year? 
Will my wedding plans be dashed this year or will it actually happen? We start to anticipate the future. We can't help it. It just has to happen at the turn of the year. Also, for many of us, New Year is a common time for resolutions, is it not? This is the year that I will get fit. Well, we're already in February. I don't know how we're going. But on January 1, we decide this is the year. This is the year where my diet will completely change. This is the year where those odd jobs that need doing around the house are going to finally get done. Things that I need to do. This is the year, my love, where I will clear the garage. I know you've been asking me every year, but this is the year where the garage will be finally cleared. And we resolve to do these little things that we've set in our hearts to do. And then we have our spiritual life. This is the year when I want to read the Bible. When I want to get serious about God's word and I want to read it every day of my life and I want to read it through. This is a year when I'm going to pray. When I'm going to really commit myself to praying before the Lord. This is the year when I want to evangelize more. You look back on the year before and you realize, yeah, that wasn't a great year. But this is the year that I really want to brandish the gospel and take it out and make a difference. This is the year where I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. You know, those types of resolutions, I think, have a place. It's good to consider and determine how the Lord might want us to grow. Psalm 103, verse 15 and 16 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. That's why in Psalm 90 verse 12, we are exhorted to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We're exhorted to number our days because a heart of wisdom is understanding you don't know how many days you got left. You can't keep putting everything off to the year after and the year after and the year after because you don't know if you're going to have a year after and a year after and a year after. And so it's a good thing, I think, to stop and take time in our life to consider, Lord, where do you want me to grow? What am I going to do this year that's going to make a difference 10 years from now and then in eternity? And yet this morning, I really don't believe the Lord wants to primarily stir our affections and resolutions towards him. He doesn't want us to be thinking through, how am I going to serve you this year? Not right now. I believe right in this moment, he wants to remind us of one of his greatest resolutions towards us. He wants to look us in our eyes as our father and burn into our hearts. Isaiah 41 verse 10. And this great resolution to us and this great resolution means something. Here's what it means. It means that in all of our tomorrows... We have nothing to fear. See, the original hearers of this text, this would have been a wonderful comfort and encouragement and faith-inspiring reality. To know that in all of my tomorrows, I have nothing to fear would have been inspiring to them. They were in exile in Babylon at the time. They were in chains. They would have had hopes. They would have had dreams. They would have had plans. But they wouldn't have really known whether any of them were actually going to come about. And so to hear that whatever our tomorrow brings, there is nothing fear would have been comforting for them and encouraging for them and inspiring to them. And I believe the Lord wants to comfort and encourage and inspire us with that exact same thing. 
We're going to be taking a deep, deep dive this morning into that's just one verse. It's a verse that naturally splits itself into three parts, but I want us to understand in all of our tomorrows, we have nothing to fear. Let's look at the first part of the verse then. Fear not. Fear not. For I am with you. You know, what an important statement fear not is. Because in honesty, in all of our humanity, there are so many things in our lives that can cultivate fear, are they not? Brendan, I thought, wonderfully listed some of those. I didn't know he was going to do that. But wonderfully listed some of those in our Lord's Supper time this morning. That our heart tends to go towards fear. So you go to the hospital. You haven't been expected to go to the hospital, but you don't feel quite right. And you go to the hospital, and the hospital gives you bad news. Life-changing news. You can feel fear straight away. What is this going to mean? What is this going to look like? The girl that you had been hoping to get married to and had planned to marry decides you are not the one for her. And she leaves you and you think, well, how did that happen? And you feel fear. Because that was my life. So what's my life going to be now? Maybe I'll never get married. How am I going to cope with that? What's it going to look like? I don't want that. And you feel fear. What about the job? The job that you've enjoyed for years and due to COVID, they are reshuffling things around and you start to become aware, it looks likely I'm going to lose my job this year. And you feel anxiety gripping you. How are we going to afford to live? Where are we going to live? What is this going to mean? What if I can't get another job? The government and their COVID rules. And they announce a change yet again. And you wonder, is it ever going to not change? And what is this going to mean for me? What is this going to mean for my family and my life? What are we going to do? And you feel fear because you're aware. I can't control them. And so you feel fearful. Or are the kids, when they were little, they used to really seem to love the Lord. They would sing. They would get involved. But as they've got older, they're increasingly disinterested with the Lord. They don't want to come anymore. And you start to feel anxiety and fear. What if they don't want to follow Jesus? What if they don't follow Jesus? What's that going to mean for their eternity? And what we feel is fear. There are so many things in our lives and in our humanity that can cultivate fear in our hearts, are they not? And God the Father looks right back at us in our eyes and tells us, fear not. Why? Well, he tells because I am with you. You know, there is so much packed into that word, I am. Because what he is referring to here as himself is the great I am. And the reason why he wants us not to fear is because the great I am, he is with us. And my friends, two words, I am, contain so much information that should inform our hearts as to whether we fear or not. You see, the great I am is incredible in every way. In Isaiah 40, just the chapter before this, we learn some incredible things about him. This one who is with us, well, first off, he is the one who is supreme Over all creation. You get that? Chapter 40 verse 12 says as follows. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span 
enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. We're invited in that moment into God's great workshop, the place, if you will, where he designed and created and breathed out the universe. And you get to see how incredible God is when you examine what is being said there. For who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? You know, over 70% of our world is covered in ocean. There are thousands of millions of cubic kilometers of water. So one of the privileges of traveling is when you take off, particularly when you go to the States, you take off from Sydney and you go over water within about two minutes. You travel for 15 and a half hours and then you land in LA just as the water finishes. That's just one great ocean. None of us can actually hold the oceans of the world in our hand. But what he's helping us see is God can. He can carry it all in the hollow of his hand. It's just easy competence compared to his majesty. What about the heavens? The known heavens are 93 billion light years across. That's a long way. You can't measure it in miles. You have to measure it in light years. And the reason why it's called the known universe, if you ever watch these things and they say the known universe, it's because there's a lot of it we don't know yet. We haven't built a telescope big enough yet to see if it is actually bigger than they estimate it to be. We cannot, as humans, measure the universe, but God can. It's a span of his hand. Such is the greatness of his power, the greatness of his might. What about the mountains? The great mountain ranges of the world, the Andes, imagine them. The Atlas Mountains, the Rocky Mountains, the Himalayas. About three years ago, I had the joy of going to Nepal to serve our friend there in Sovereign Grace. And on one day, he took me up a quite a, well, it felt like a massive mountain to me. But it, he said, oh, it's just tiny. So we went to the top of this and there was a coffee shop. And we sat by this coffee shop and he said, look out there. And all I could see was clouds. But eventually the clouds started to separate and you could see the base of the Himalayas. And he said, if we start walking through there and going through there, we can go to Everest. He said, you should do it sometime. I said, no, I will never do it. <laughs> but I do like looking. You know, Everest is eight over 8.8 kilometers high. And it says here in this moment that it is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, that can weigh that mountain in his scales. We struggle to even climb it. He can weigh it. And that's just one of them. And then there's the stars. I mean, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Don't you love that? None of them are missing. There are over 400 billion stars in our galaxies And it is estimated there are over 125 billion other galaxies. When you go out at night and you see the stars, you're barely seeing any of them. And yet the Bible says God created all these. He breathed them out. He names them one by one and he sustains them so that not one is missing. My friends, this is the one who is supreme over all creation. Are you feeling small yet? Because you should. This is the maker of heaven and earth. He's got this. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Likewise, we learn in verse 15 that he is the one who is supreme over all the nations. Over all the nations. 
And my friends, I think in history, in our lifetime, when it comes to COVID challenges, we need to hear this truth. When we can start to get fearful about nations rising up and what's this going to mean? Well, I'll tell you what it's going to mean. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he who takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Isn't that incredible? All the standing of the nations, put them all together, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, the United States, Europe, China, Russia, Ukraine, put them all together. Their standing before the Lord is like a drop from a bucket or dust on a scales. Such is his majesty and sovereignty and power. I don't know about you, but if I'm washing my car and I take a bucket out, and if I accidentally slip and one drop falls to the ground, I'm not losing a lot of sleep over that. I'm not taking some scales out of my cupboard and thinking, oh my, I better get every last speck of dust off because it won't weigh right. No, because it's so insignificant compared to everything else. And what God is saying is, put all the nations of the world together, all the governments together, that's where they stand in standing in, in contrast to myself. Such is his power and his splendor and his sovereignty and authority. That's why we read the following in verse 21 through 24. It says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? Listen. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out like the heavens, like the curtain. And spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He who brings princes to nothing. And makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them. And they wither, and their tempest carries them off like stubble. My friends, he is the one who is supreme over creation, and he is the one who is supreme over all the nations. He is the one who sits enthroned on high above everybody. Even the greatest of kings is like a grasshopper before him. He holds the heart of all kings in his hands. Such is his majesty and his splendor. You know, what this all means, my friends, is that we serve a King of kings and Lord of lords who is above and beyond us in every single way. That's what Isaiah 6 is all about. See, in Isaiah chapter 6, you have the wonderful song of the seraphim, these angels, these burning ones. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, he had a vision of the Lord. He had a vision of the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, this great king, actually, this wonderful human king, and so the nation is starting to panic and get fearful of how we're going to manage. And that very year, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord in his heavenly realms. And the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, in ancient times, if you were a king or a queen, you sought to have the biggest robe you could because that was a sign of your supremacy and power. Well, God's robe fills the temple. He's helping you see, I'm above and beyond them all. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm supreme over all things. As Isaiah kept looking, he said that above him stood two seraphim. Seraphim literally means burning ones. So he saw two mighty angels. And each of these angels had six wings. 
With two, they covered their faces. They covered their faces because they are standing in the unveiled glory of God. They can't manage to look at it and live. They are creatures. And so they cover their eyes before him. With two, they cover their feet. Feet all the way through the Bible are a sign of our creatureliness. And so they cover their feet in honor to him. And with two, they fly behind him. Why? Because these things, these seraphim, realize we're here just to serve you. We'll go anywhere for you. You are in charge. So they stand before him in this glorious presence of God with the robe filling the temple and with their mouths they begin to call out to one another and they sing to one another and this is what they sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That is a dramatic bit in the whole of scripture. You see, in the English language, When we want to emphasize something, what do we do? We put it in bold, we underline it, we put an exclamation mark. In the Hebrew, they can't do that. So in the Hebrew, they repeat things. And in the the Old Testament, they only ever repeat things twice. So truly, truly, amen and amen. Apart from this one solitary place in the Bible, right here. And it's these angels standing before God and they want us to understand you're not just holy and holy. You are holy, holy, holy. The word holy simply means set apart. You are set apart from us in every way. You are greater than anybody who ever lived. You are more loving than anybody who ever lived. You are supreme and more than anybody who ever lived. You are majestic and more than anybody who ever lived. You are powerful more than anybody who ever lived. It says that when these seraphim began to sing to one another, such was their might that the very thresholds of the temple shook. It'd be like us singing this morning and the whole room shakes. I mean, that would be a dramatic moment, wouldn't it? That's the effect of these angels. But the angels understand that before this king, we are nothing. So holy, holy, holy are you. A.W. Pink says, God is solitary in his majesty, unique in his excellency, and peerless in his perfections. And so he is. He is solitary in his majesty. Holy is you, are you in your majesty. You are unique in your excellency. There is nothing like you. You are peerless in your perfections. You never, ever make a mistake. So holy, holy, Holy are you. So God tells us, so, fear not, for I am with you. Isn't that incredible? It's just so easy to domesticate God as if we're just hanging out with him. We need to realize who he is. The train of his robe fills the temple. Holy, holy, holy is his name. He is supreme in creation. He is supreme in the nations. He is powerful and sovereign over all things. And he guarantees, I will be with you. Wow. Well, that informs my heart. Does it not yours? It helps me. Fear not, for I am with you. And then he says this in the second part of the verse. And be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
It's not just fear that he wants us to deal with. He wants to make sure that we not be feeling dismayed either. See, the feeling of dismay is the feeling of great concern and distress. That's what it means to be dismayed. I feel really concerned and distressed about something. Sometimes it's things that we're really disappointed about. We're really disillusioned about. How can this be happening to me? It's that feeling then that the sky is falling in. Or that our lives are derailing. You know, the, the, the train of our lives is starting to derail and we start to feel disillusioned and disappointed and get anguish and real concern in our hearts as if this is out of control. And we start to think, surely no good can come out of this. I'm clearly just on my own and I'm trying to change it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do something, but it's not happening. I feel dismayed. And God looks us back in our eyes and says, hey, listen up. Do not be dismayed. See, we can all feel that naturally at different times, can we not? Circumstances happen in our lives where we start to feel disappointed, disillusioned, fearful, concerned, dismayed, out of control. I can't seem to do anything. And I think as the world has in some ways got smaller and we've got richer, we think we can control way more than we're in reality we ever can. And so we feel dismayed. But God looks back and says, hey, listen, do not be dismayed. Why? Well, because I am with you. But more than that, I am your God. See, it's so easy to miss this and just brush over it as if you say, oh, I get it, I get it. No, no, no. God wants us to see and understand this morning just how personal these words are. He's addressing you. I am your God. See, I've been a pastor a long time. I have discovered in my life it is not uncommon to encounter people that are full of faith for other people. God is going to be with you. I know he is. He's good, he's faithful, just keep trusting him. But when it comes to feeling that for themselves, they don't feel it. They feel that they're just somehow left out. That it's different for them. That they're somehow outside of the box. Well, my friends, I want to encourage you this morning. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, no one is outside of the box. And in this moment, God in his might is not just addressing the crowd... He's addressing you, personally, one by one. See, the truth of the Bible is that God didn't just knit us together in our mother's womb. If you have put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior, he didn't just knit you together in your mother's womb. No, he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 1 verse 4. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We had no hope of ever responding to him. But at the right time we did, because before the foundation of the earth, he chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. At the right time then, he sent forth his son. His son who came on the greatest rescue mission ever told for you. He died in your place. He made it possible then for you to be forgiven of your sin and adopted into the family of God and redeemed by his holy name and welcomed into heaven when that moment arrives. 
And prior to that moment, he has assured us that now, as a faithful and kind father, having adopted you, he has vowed never, ever to leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Listen, for all of you, you are not just a number. You're a name. You are a name that has been written on the palm of his hand. A name that he cares for with personal and passionate and particular attention. There is no black sheep in the family. He just loves you. And he's passionate about you. He chose you and came after you and now guarantees I will never leave you or forsake you. You're not just a number. You're a name, a child of God. And so he tells us, listen, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, because I'm your God. I've got this. I'm the one that spins the galaxies. I know you're panicking. You don't need to panic. I'm your God. I'm with you. And then he starts to explain, just in this final part of this precious verse, what it is then that he will do for us. What it is that his hand will do towards us as his children. He says this, For I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What is it then that God will do for you this year? What is he resolving to do for you no matter what tomorrow brings? Well, first up, he guarantees that he will strengthen us. Who amongst us needs strengthening at times? I know I certainly do. You know, the Bible makes it clear that we all do at different times. And Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a wonderful promise that is, don't you think? He guarantees you, listen, you're going to get weary. You're going to get tired. There's going to be things that are going to be a challenge. My friends, when you signed up to become a Christian, that didn't just mean you take him as your savior and you get on with your life. No, it meant that you agreed to take up your cross daily to deny yourself and follow him. It meant that he became the Lord of your life, the king of your life. And that is no walk in the park. But what he tells us in the midst of it is, although that is a great challenge, it is a wonderful privilege, and he will always be with you to strengthen you. What's your job? Wait on him. You have to be with him. You have to ask. That's why John 15 is so important, you know. I will, you can do all things through him who strengthens him. It's only when we wait on him and remain in the vine that we can actually do these things. Right here, it's the Old Testament saying the same thing. Listen, you're going to go weary, you're going to go exhausted, but if you wait on the Lord, you shall renew your strength like wings of an eagle. He will strengthen you. You know, when it comes to our lives, we have been given the greatest mission, I believe, to go and make disciples of all nations. And I think... In the midst of COVID, we can lose sight of that. And we just start to get to go down and we start to spend more and more time thinking about ourselves. We just got to lift our eyes again and remind us, what are we even doing here? But that ain't easy. That ain't no walk in the park. But God says, listen, I will strengthen you. 
I will help you each and every step of the way. Then he tells us and promises that he will help us. I mean, again, what a wonderful comfort and faith-building reality that is, don't you think? He's going to help you. Listen, you have a helper. Remember who he is. I remember when my kids were little, and I'm sure we've all experienced this, whether we have kids of our own or not, when a kid in the family wants to help us with a job. Have you ever experienced that? You know, you try to fix the car, and then your three-year-old comes out, they've got their hammer and their screwdriver. I'll help you, Dad. And you think, oh, please. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank, thank you. And what you want to say is, don't be so ridiculous. But what comes out of your mouth is, of course. And then you think, oh, this is going to take hours. Because they're not going to be a great help. Well, my friends, we don't have a kid standing by our side. We have the maker of heaven and earth standing by our side saying, hey, listen, as you go about that, I'm here to help you. What do you need? I got this. What do you want? I can help you. I can give you anything you want. Isn't that incredible? He then tells us that he will uphold us. The one who we've just read about in chapter 40, verse 26, is the one who upholds and sustains the stars of the universe. The one who sustains and upholds the stars of the universe so that not one is missing is now saying, in the same way I care for those stars, I'm caring for you. I named you and I will sustain you so that not one of you is missing. I'm watching over your coming and your going. I'm hemming you in both behind and before. I'm sustaining you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, which is the final part of this verse. He's doing all these things with his righteous right hand. You know, one of the things that struck me this week is he could have just said, I will uphold you with my right hand. And that would be cool. But he wants to remind us, I'm upholding you with my righteous right hand. I.e. a right hand that is perfect and will never fail you. The righteous right hand that is unfailing and unchanging and unwavering. A righteous right hand that is all wise and all knowing and all powerful and all present. A righteous right hand that is perfect and sovereign and which never ever loses its grip. I'm going to hold you with that right hand. And I remember when our Josh was young, literally very young, like baby young, and I remember uh, in, our, in our home we had a staircase, and for some reason, I don't know why, but he was really scared going down the stairs. So I'd be holding him, and he'd be there, and his little head would be there, and then his nails would dig into my neck every time. So by the time you get downstairs, it's like these nail marks. I'd be like, I've got you, I've got you. But he would just hold on. Because as far as he's concerned, he's having a hold on to me. And eventually he twigged. He's about 17. But eventually he twigged. <laughs> then I got him. And so eventually I didn't need, he didn't need to hang on anymore because he realized, son, I've got you. as your dad. I've got you. I'm holding you. Well, my friends, I believe the Lord wants to remind you today who it is that holds you. It's him. You don't need to hang on to his neck for dear life. He's got you. The never failing king of kings. The perfect one in every way. The one whose ways are much higher than your ways. The one who is above and beyond creation. The one who is above and beyond nations holds you in his unfailing hand. And so what does that all mean? Here's what that all means. What that means is in all of our tomorrows, 
we have nothing to fear. He is with us. The maker of heaven and earth, the great I am. The one who is supreme over creation, supreme over the nations, the one who is above and beyond us in every single way. The all-powerful one of the universe guarantees, I will be with you. And he guarantees, I'll be with you because I am your God. It's not just out to the crowd, it's to you as an individual. You're not just a number, you're a name, a child of God who he adopted through the substitutionary death of his own son. And he guarantees that he'll be with us to strengthen us and help us and uphold us with his righteous right hand. Seen correctly, I believe then this should give us great hope for all of our tomorrows. And for us as individuals and for us as a church, I pray that that's where we'll live this year. We don't know all that tomorrow will bring. But whatever it brings... We can have great hope because I am is with us and I am is our God. Let's pray. Lord, this is a happy place to be in this moment because to be surrounded by your word and to see who you really are in our lives is to be overwhelmed with your sovereignty, your power, your greatness, and also your intimacy towards us. Lord, I do thank you for calling our names. I thank you that you came after us, that while we were across from you in a great chasm, it was you that came running after us. And then having grabbed us, you tell us that you will never let us go. Oh, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that our hearts would be encouraged this morning, that our hearts would be comforted this morning, that our hearts would be inspired with faith this morning, because you got this. You are the king. And in you, may we find sweet, sweet rest. Lord, we cannot do this by ourselves, but we are not by ourselves. So may we trust in you and with joy in our hearts may we move forward and may it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name.